Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I want to tell you my secret now. I see death. Silent Freed is people! No. I am the father of What's in the box? You idiot! You blew it up! Damn you all! Welcome to a Slate spoiler special of the sexy period confection Bridgerton, the Netflix series uh, produced by Shonda Rhimes, created by Chris Van Dusen, and based on a series of romance novels by Julia Quinn. I'm Slate's TV critic, Willa Paskin, um, and I am joined today by Nicole Perkins, the writer and host of the new podcast, This Is Good For You. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Willa. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. I'm actually really excited to do this because I was putting watching Bridgerton off. Like I watched the first one and I was like, eh. And then I watched them all very recently and I enjoyed them more than I was expecting to. So I'm excited to talk to you. I would say that before I watched the show, I kept thinking about it as like um, Gossip Girl meets Downton Abbey. But now that I have actually watched the show, I think of it more as like Jane Austen meets one of those teen comedies where they pretend they fake get together to fool everyone and then fall in love. Like she's all that with more sex and more black people. And I I'm excited to talk about it with you. (laughs) I'm excited to talk about it, too. It's funny because I have never watched um, any of those things. Like, I don't watch uh, any Pride or Prejudice kind of adaptation. I don't, like, do that. I don't really watch teen stuff, you know? So I don't... When everyone's like, oh, it's just like this, it's just like that, I'm just like, okay, I... I don't get that reference, but for me, it's just like, oh, I'm, I'm watching a romance novel come to life. And, you know, I have thoughts on whether or not it was a good at- adaptation. So I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to get into it. So we're going to bring our different <laughs> things together and see maybe it work. I think maybe it worked at some of those things better than others. And we'll find out. So given this is a spoiler special, I thought that we would just start with like the premise of the show, but and mostly just like sort of get into the things that are interesting and not like too bogged down in the plot, but like you know, what's the show about? So so do you want to just sort of set up what Bridgerton is about? Okay, so yes. So Bridgerton is a Regency romance. Um, Daphne Bridgerton is, you know, this lovely debutante. She has been declared the diamond of the first water. Um, and so everyone wants her, wants to marry her, but she wants to marry for love. And Duke of Hastings, Simon, is her oldest brother's best friend. And, you know, she has her eye on him, even though they both, they don't realize that it's going to happen. So she decides that she wants to fake a relationship with him in order to make her irresistible to other men. And he wants to use her to keep the other debutantes, the other, you know, women who are trying to basically catch a husband uh, away from him. So they decide to, you know, get together, fake a relationship until she finds the person that she actually does love. And of course they end up falling in love and getting married. And 
all of that stuff that happens uh, in the context of that. But there's all this, you know, uh, Simon has a little secret and he, um, he does not tell Daphne until it's a little too late. And she's just like, OK, I'm going to overlook, you know, your dark past or whatever. Um, but then she realizes, no, I, I can't overlook it. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to take such the matters into my own hand. <laughs> We're getting, we're, let's, let's, this is all of our, we got to talk about all of this, but let's just like, let's just, can we just talk about like the beginning, beginning? So like the beginning, it's like, he's like brooding Mr. Darcy type. I'm sure there's a romance. I mean, Mr. Darcy is probably in romance novels type. And she's like this very perfect woman and they like, you know, they banter, they don't like each other. We all know they like are going to be hot for each other. And, and to me, like sort of one of the fundamental things, like the, one of the big questions about Bridgerton, there's some is like, is it hot? Like, is it sexy? Does it work in that romancy way? And, you know, the show's eight episodes long. There's like, a, I would say there's like about three episodes of just like heavy flirtation, like a for, like sort of like tension building. Then they start smooching. And I think like one of the, the way that you can sort of tell this show has romance roots is like, well, Firstly, you see her brother, who we can talk about in a second, like having sex with someone in like the opening sequence of the show. I think it's just sort of trying to establish like it's bona fides. And then like every time they make out, it's just for much longer than it would be in a regular show. Like there's much more like groping, but it's not. Well, I'm just interested in what you think, like how it worked as as a romance, as like as a sexy thing. I think it works as a romance for sure. Um, And obviously sexy is very subjective. It was not sexy to me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I did not find any of the sex scenes thrilling at all. Like I cringed throughout them. I was embarrassed (laughs) to the point that I laughed out loud. You know, like I was just like, oh my God, what is happening? The sexiest scene for me was in episode three when Simon kind of, coaches Daphne on how to masturbate because she has that, no that idea. That is the sexiest. That's the sexiest scene in the show. Yeah. Lot, and, I think. Yeah. And they're like out in this park walking, you know, with their chaperones, um, you know, very far behind them, but still close enough to make sure they don't ravish each other in the grass or something. But um, that was the sexiest part. So it works for me as a romance. It does not work if I want, if I wanted to watch something that was steamy, I am not going to turn on Bridgerton, unfortunately. How are the books good romance? Like, do you think they did a good job adapting the books? Did they lose something? I haven't read the books, but I think you've read the first two. Yeah, I've read the first two um, in the Bridgerton series, and there is a loss of something. So in the book, Daphne, in the first book, Daphne this is maybe her second or third season. So that kind of explains a bit of her, I don't want to say desperation, but why she's so enthusiastic about locking down a husband, you know, because she's been through this process a couple of times that she, she wants to get it over with, you know, before she is labeled, you know, someone who no one wants. Right. But in the series, we don't have that background. This is her first season. So it's just like, she's supposed to live up to this reputation of being the, the, the most desirable person. Um, and so the rush isn't, I don't feel like the rush is earned in the series as it is in the books. And in the book, I think it is a bit sexier. There's a bit more tenderness in the sex scenes and the love scenes, even when they're more passionate and more 
thrusting. Um, it's still kind of there. They take time with each other, but we don't really get that beyond their first night together, you know, after the wedding. There's also a, the uh, I mean, the books are not cross racial, right? Like everyone's white in the book. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> Everyone is lily white in the books. And, you know, there was a bit of a a hesitancy to pay attention to the series because the author, Julia Quinn, has said some things at different panels before when asked to address diversity and asked to address why her books are so white. She kind of has just been like, you know, it's hard for me to, if I have, you know, characters of different races and ethnicity ethnicities, it would be hard for me to explain why my characters are not racist and I don't want to take time away from the romance to describe, you know, why my characters are not racist. Um, And she's also kind of talked about her, she wants her books to focus on happily ever afters and not suffering, because I guess if you have Black people, that means Black people only know suffering. Black people fall in love every fucking day. You know, it's just like, it's okay. It's also just so interesting, like what they did with the show, because the show is obviously I mean, I, I, let's get into what let's get into the sort of the race stuff about the show. So it's a multiracial world. The Duke of Hastings is black. His spiritual mother is a black woman. And the queen, the Queen Charlotte, the queen of all of England is a black woman. And they don't talk about this explicitly through the first four episodes. And like I, when I first was watching it, I was like, oh, this is just like fully colorblind. Shonda Rhimes did a show about like a Shakespeare riff off that was like on ABC for a year and was canceled. That was um, like, it was after Romeo and Juliet die. And then like the Montagues and Capulets, there's like a next generation, like a next follow-up love story. And that was totally colorblind. They didn't talk about it, which is sort of also what happened in Grey's Anatomy for a long time. And actually also in Scandal, they didn't talk about race well into like maybe the late in the first season, maybe in the second season sort of par for the course. But in the fourth episode, there's this speech that is a very Shonda speech. You know, Chris Van Dusen created the show, and I think they did a really good job, mostly, like, doing Jane Austenese. Like, I'm pretty impressed. But there's a couple moments that are pure Shonda moments. One is, like, the the speech sort of at the end when Daphne is like, I'm tired of saying that I don't love you. I love all of you. You're not broken or damaged, which is a hundred percent the Grey's Anatomy pick me, choose me, loves me speech and damaged and broken are Shonda's favorite words. You're like, you just hopped right in here and did a little boop, 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 your little monologue. And also in the fourth episode where we sort of get this explanation of why black people and white people are existing in sort of this upper echelons of, uh, you know, British society. And it's because, the king of England, who's um, now mad, you know, had a love match with Queen Charlotte. And so black people have dukedoms and, you know, other titles. And it sort of changed how the society operates. And I guess I just wondered, like, do we need that? Did we need that? Like, could it just have been colorblind? Did it need to be more explained? Did it mean less explained? Like, I mean, also, like, for me, like, who cares what I think about this, basically. But I, you know, like, I, I mean, I thought it was sort of interesting, but I also thought it was really fleeting and that it was just felt like a way to be like, we just are going to not pretend we just like don't know that this is a thing we're doing, but like, let's not talk about it too much. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. So I don't think the show handled race very well at all. Um, so yeah, you're right. Queen Charlotte is Black, um, which is something that historians have known about uh, for a while or that, you know, she was believed to be black. Um, And so 
that kind of elevated everyone into, you know, this upper class position. But there are these moments where we see the side character, Marina Thompson, who is a cousin of the Feathertons. She is a mixed race black woman, comes to stay with them. And when she arrives, Lady Featherton, you know, is shocked to see this black girl come through the door. The reason why I think race was not handled well in this show, not only in the way that they brought it up and talked about it, because I'm going to come back to Simon's father in a second. But the two women, the two black women that we see who are, I guess, sexual, shall we say, Marina and then the seamstress, um, Delacroix. Just Madame Delacroix is the woman who does all the clothes. And she sort of, as the season goes on, ends up having a sexual relationship with the second Bridgerton brother, um, Benedict. And she's suspected of being Lady Whistledown. I mean, we're gonna we have lots of things to talk about. So, yes, um, but that's that's who she is. And she's she is she's like a sexually active woman of color who has a sort of French accent. Um, and, yes, right. And it's her and yes. Marina. Yes. So these two women are also duplicitous. They have ulterior motives. They come to the show and there's something, you know, uh, Marina is, again, spoiler, right? Marina is hiding a pregnancy, right? Um, Madame Delacroix is not French. She is, I don't know, a lower class English woman, but she puts on this accent in order to make a living. And she associates with the an opera singer that Anthony, the eldest brother, is um, sleeping with. And the opera singers are, you know, low class. They're considered a step above sex workers and things like that. And then the other um, Black woman on the show, Lady Danbury, who is Simon's, like, godmother or mentor, she is older and therefore de-sex. So all the Black women are kind of pushed to the side in some way. So I did not particularly care for that at all. Wait, wait, could I? Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, but you know, I think that like Marina in particular, you know, one of the things about this conversation about like about how black characters should be portrayed in fiction is like, do they have this obligation to be like always heroic and good and like role modely? And I thought that Marina's character actually, like Daphne is also, you know, she's she's sort of is much more the heroine in some ways, but by the time she's like maybe making her husband ejaculate inside of her to have a baby. Like we're sort of getting on, like she's also up to her own weird things. And I just, I actually sort of liked Marina because I, I thought she sort of ultimately remained sympathetic. Like you understood why she was doing all the things she was doing, even as she's like trying to get Colin Bridgerton to marry her, even as she's doing these sort of unethical things, they sort of kept like a core of decency to her, it felt like. And and like the end is sort of the sad end for her. There are not as many black female characters or even really, you know, black characters in some way centrally to the show as it, it sort of seems like there's going to be. And that's kind of because the Bridgertons are sort of central to the show and there's like a billion of them. But it felt like they were like letting them just be messy. I mean, that's like, that is the whole Shonda thing. It's like, Everyone right. gets to be a disaster, right? Right. Everyone has some shit with them. I understand that completely. But when you are used to seeing depictions of Black teenage girls being pregnant and having to, like, lie to get ahead or something like that, it's just like, uh, again, I thought you were <laughs> supposed to be refreshing this kind of look. Is that is that in the books? Is that from the books, that storyline? Marina is um, much later in the series. I haven't read 
her book. Because yeah. um, I just th- wonder if almost, I think, I understand what you're saying, but I wonder if they almost got in a pickle where they're like, we have these two families, the Featheringtons and the Bridgertons, and I, they could have maybe made the Featheringtons, they could have made one of them black, but like, if they're both white, then there's like, how do you introduce other characters of color, right? Because that's like mm-hmm. just a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, because I, I don't even know if Marina gets a full story, but she just kind yeah. of um, comes in later for Eloise's story, um, several books down the line. But I wanted to talk about Lady Danbury and yeah. Simon's situation. So Simon's secret is that he made a vow that he would never have any children. His his line would die with him because, um, number one, he has a stutter, and number two, his father was terrible to him. So he's trying to spite his father even after his father has died. So I just feel like, I mean, it's, I, I understand. Like, I don't really have an issue with that. But, I, you know, it's, it's made into this really huge thing. And then when you find out kind of like what it is, it's just like, huh, that's stupid. You really? know, like it didn't have, <laughs> I don't think, I don't feel like it had the impact that it should have. Um, that made, his vow? That does in, yeah, when his vow, yeah. And then we see him, like, when we see him pulling out all the time, it's so comedic. It's just, it's so... <laughs> it, it is pretty funny. I mean, I think maybe we're getting into this. So Daphne and the Duke get married, and it's sort of, they're both really mad. They burn for each other, you know, but they, they have a lot of miscommunications. There's, like, a whole duel that... They sort of both think the other one's marrying them out of a sense of obligation, which is not at all the case. It's fully a love match. They finally start to bang and are like ecstatic about it. And there's a lot of scenes of them just like screwing all over the house, outdoors and gazebos, like on kitchen tables with servants. I mean, just very, you know, that's what they're doing. And then, and he's always pulling out. And and the thing that she, she doesn't know anything about sex. She literally has been taught absolutely nothing. So she has sort of agreed. So when, right before they get married, or right before she agrees to marry him sort of at this duel, Simon says, like, I cannot have children. And she takes him at his word, meaning, like, not you don't want to have children or you swore this oath to, like, you know, be cruel to your father who was so cruel to you even though he's dead. She literally thinks, like, he physically can't. And she doesn't, but she also doesn't understand what that can mean because she just, like, literally doesn't know anything about how anything works. So he's, like, constantly pulling out. She doesn't understand that that's weird, probably. Like, that that's not weird, but that's... That he's, that's what he's doing. And at some right. point in sort of, I think that, I think, you know, the show also sort of in that episode, which is maybe episode five or six, they have him um, have a lot of work to do. You know, he gets really busy with work and he's like, he's like trying to manage his estate. And I think what they were trying to say there, but they didn't like really hammer it is like, oh, look, he's a man. So he has a job and she's supposed to have a job, which is taking care of her children, but you don't have any. So she's literally bored all day. And like, she just, she needs a family. Like, that's what a woman of her, of her, like, status and class is supposed to do. And he's busy, and she's bored, and she's like, oh, no, I don't want to not have children. And then she realizes, learns, basically, teaches herself that it's not that he can't, it's that he won't. Which, you know, I mean, um, that might be a distinction without a difference, but it's not a distinction without a difference to her. At which point she fucks him and makes him come inside her, which he does, does, like, pretty... I mean, he does. He does. And yeah. it, this, is, this has been a sort of point of controversy. Um, like, you know, did Daphne rape the Duke of Hastings? Is it rape adjacent? 
I mean, it's definitely ethically complex, but I think that one of the things that's sort of clear from the show's point of view is that his desire not to have children is bullshit, <laughs> kind of. Like, like they, he made the vow, and he meant the vow, but you know at no point do you did I really believe the show was like, yeah, he's not going to have kids and fuck up his whole marriage. It was like, obviously he's going to get on board with her plan because it's like that that's the nature of what this is and that's how sort of how they're playing it and he does and that and that maybe maybe goes to to what you're saying which is like there is a way it seems silly because you just kind of never believe you're like you're not you're not for real about this right and you know that scene um what happens is you know she gets her confidence and she, you know, she's gone to her maid to figure out like what's what's supposed to be happening um, because her mother refuses to tell her anything. No one has told her anything, um, like you said, which I found, again, unbelievable. Like this, you know, her mother has had eight children. So clearly really she found it unbelievable. I feel like yes. that's just like a real trope of like this moment of sh- like that. Like maybe it's not for maybe it's not real. Like maybe they, she would have known. But I think. I don't know. I bought that. I bought that. I bought that. No. Like, your mom has had eight kids. You have, like, five younger siblings. Somebody had to, like, give you a hint as to how they were coming about, number one. Number two, your younger sister, Eloise, is, like, this very well-read, smart young lady. All the books that she's reading, all the stuff that she's exposed to, and just, like, kind of going out and being her own little feminist young baby sister, nothing that she read talks about... Uh, the, you know, copulation. You know, I, think, I guess, I don't know. I thought that part was like, I thought that was right, which is like, they're so modern in this way, but they're also so sheltered. Like no one wants to tell them anything. Like they want them to be like, like the fact that her like making out with the Duke in the, like the reason they sort of the, the Duke and her brother Anthony get in this duel because her honor has been besmirched, not because they had sex, because they tongued in a, like a garden for like, two minutes, you know, like that's the level at which like people are protecting these ladies virginity. I get it. I know. But still, before her father passed, I'm sure she had to see her parents kissing and like sneaking touches or something because we hear about how affectionate they were, you know, around the house. And that's um, especially detailed in the books. Like they're the siblings constantly talk about the love and affection that they saw between their parents. And that's part of the reason that they too want a love match. So in the books, we have this kind of uh, background for why they want love so much. So again, I think that's something that kind of slipped through the cracks with the adaptation. So we don't have that. And again, there's this woman who has had eight children and she's very shy to talk about sex with her eldest daughter. That does not, it does not make sense to me, especially if we are trying to refresh the story and make it more palatable to, you know, an audience who may not be familiar or overly familiar with romance, particularly historical romances. And you're watching it because it's Shonda and, you know, there's going to be some sex, you know. So I feel mm-hmm. like that's kind of moving away. Um, I don't think it did a great job of kind of pulling in an outside audience, although many people love it. But on the outside audience, like, but I didn't know any of that. And I bought that part. Like that didn't bother me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, like that, that no. like, <laughs> I, I, I will. But, that's okay. Yes. But, but you were saying, you were saying like that, that is also part of what made you just feel like 
you didn't buy it. Like the whole yeah. the whole tension around like the oath and like any of it. You were like she knows what you just felt yeah. like okay. Yeah, I which is what happens in any type of adaptation from book to screen, right? That a lot yeah. of the interiority gets lost as we try to just like get the story and not have voiceovers or things like that. So um, you know, some of that gets, you know, Lady Whistledown. We hear some of that in her asides and the things that she's doing when she's narrating. We hear a little bit of it, like, between the lines of what she's saying, but we don't get all of it. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, let's let's talk about Lady Wilson down, but I just want to say just one other thing, which is that one of the things I think, and this may be from the book, but that I really appreciated about the show is that it it has... Like, it, it has the regular arc of a story like this, which is, like, from meeting to marriage. And that's only really, like, halfway of the first season. And then it does all this other four episodes where, like, just even from a conventionality cliche, like, story arc perspective, like, as the audience, especially if you haven't read the books, you actually don't really, like, know what's going to happen. Like, you know, in that first episode, you're like, you you crazy kids are getting married. Like that's, that's like just for ordained. Right. And they do it. They try to do it in a dramatic way, whatever, but like, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. They're going to like really love each other and have great sex, whatever. Like that's through episode four. But then, you know, the show like kind of does, it's unclear what they're going to do. It's, it's after the happily ever after. And I appreciated that about the show. Like I liked that they didn't drag it out. I liked that it was like kind of going way too fast for one of these kind of things. And that, you know, I think, and we'll talk about this too a little bit, my sense is that the way the series works is it starts with a whole new couple. I mean, in this world, but each each book, each season is about a whole new couple. So that means like we really just did the story of the Duke and Duchess of Hastings and we did the whole thing and it was eight episodes and like that meant they could be sort of surprising and weird and I dug it. I like really liked that it wasn't just what I thought it was going to be from like the first episode. But let's... Let's lady whistle down it. So I just, I'm just going to like do a little spiel about maybe like all these other people in this world. So basically we have Daphne and the Duke of Hastings, but they're, and they're sort of like, they're like the most high profile gossip in like of the season in the ton. Like they're, they're the, the, they're like the major couple, but there's all these other people trying to like get together and get married in this social milieu and sort of our cast of characters is the Bridgerton family, which I did not realize until literally the last episode when their, you know, their child is born and the Duke says like, well, they must start with the letter a, that all of the Bridgerton children are named in alphabetical order, but they are. And there's Anthony and Benedict and Colin and, um, Eloise and Daphne and Eloise and Francesca and a George, you know, like it goes on and on, but they get littler and littler. And then across the street from them live the Featheringtons who are basically like, they're less happily married. Like, they're sort of avaricious. Like, you're not supposed to like Lady Featherington. She's kind of like a bitch. And, and in comes Marina. She doesn't really understand why they're taking care of her. It's because Lord Featherington is totally broke because he's a degenerate gambler and he's trying to, you know, hopefully basically owes her dad a favor. Um, but she, Marina, is much more beautiful than the other, her three daughters. So 
she's like sort of in the mix, the Featheringtons. But the three Featheringtons are two of them who are like the ugly stepsisters, basically, and then Penelope, who um, is best friends with Eloise, who is the feminist Bridgerton, right younger than Daphne, and really doesn't want to do seasons and go out, but is like, and wants to like go her own way and becomes obsessed with discovering who Lady Whistledown is. And Lady Whistledown is like, you know, the blogger about whatever blog, that's like so low class, like the gossip columnist about, <laughs> about this milieu. And so all these people are like bumping around each other. And also the older brother, Anthony is having sex with an opera singer slash like almost courtesan um, who he loves and can't really, you know, get over. So those people are like the people that are constantly being gossiped about by Lady Whistledown. And, Eloise becomes obsessed with figuring out who Lady Whistledown is. Now, this is just a question for you. Which of these people did you find the most annoying? I have a lead to that I found incredibly annoying, and I could pick one of them especially. But I found a couple of them real annoying. (laughs) I don't know that I necessarily found anyone annoying or that I didn't care for them, but I loved Eloise and Penelope. Like, you know, oh, really? um, I, yeah, I loved their friendship. I loved that Penelope was so cutting and smart and sharp. Um, and, you know, she is overlooked because she is the baby sister and she's, you know, a, a little chubby dumpling. And so nobody thinks that she's beautiful when she is clearly like the most beautiful of her sisters. Um, and she is just I just love her. I love Penelope so much. Um, And she's so, she has a crush on Colin, right? Who's the Um, third Bridgerton brother. Right. Yes. And Marina and Colin at some point end up engaged together, um, engaged because Marina has to get married quickly. And poor Penelope is devastated from that. But out of all of them, there's no one that I was particularly annoyed with. Uh, except Anthony. I found Anthony... Yes. I guess I could say Anthony was annoying. Um, there was nothing to endear me to him because he was awful to um, the woman, the, the opera singer, whose name I've forgotten. I'm sorry. Have to, like, Sienna. I think her name is Sienna. Sienna, yes, yes. Yeah. Sienna. He was terrible to her. And there, we were supposed to believe that he was in love with her, but he couldn't, like, cross class lines. But he was just, he was terrible to her. I f- so I found Anthony to be like unbearably annoying. And also, I mean, they set him up badly because basically um, at the beginning of the show, sort of the thing that sort of sets Daphne and the Duke of Hastings relationship in motion is that her brother, Anthony, whose father has died and is now the new sort of head of the family, has kind of taken it upon himself to over control who she gets engaged to. Like he rejects everybody and picks only like this real loser who it's so unkind of him to make his sister marry her, him, this toolbox. And so he's just like controlling and doesn't get it. And that's like how we meet him. And then he also is this dunderhead with this woman, Sienna, who he, um, you know, adores, but like keeps leaving and then going back to when she has her life in order. And it's just like, he's just a jerk and a mess. And I found him like pretty, aggravating and i really hope the next season's not about him um although we ended this season with uh, if they yeah yeah if they're going in order it's about benedict i mean it's about anthony so the first book is daphne and all right then- well maybe he'll be more interesting <sighs> he might be more interesting maybe. like if he has a good love interest i don't know he was really annoying and i actually also found eloise annoying but i thought that that was like a plotting problem like i just found that 
that for a lot of the other characters who weren't the sort of the two protagonists, they had the, a lot of them like run in place. They were like, this is the thing that this character does. And this character is going to do it now, like four episodes in a row. So like Eloise is going to give a lot of speeches every episode about how like she doesn't want to have to go out into society, how she wants to be able to do her own thing, how like she's not the perfect sister and like just repeat, repeat, repeat until, until she becomes obsessed with finding um, out the identity of Lady Whistledown. So I do want to talk about Lady Whistledown, but, but just to do that. So Eloise becomes obsessed with finding out the identity of Lady Whistledown. And in this, she is joined by Queen Charlotte. And one of the things that's the most hilarious about the show to me is just like how much the queen is just like out there. Like she's not like, like she's like rubbing shoulders with everyone. Like she's just like fully in the mix in a way that you're like, she's the queen. Like intermittently they act like she's the queen and then they just like, Otherwise, just have her showing up to everything, like talking to whoever she wants. I'm just like, I, she's like too, she's too in here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it's yeah. fine for the actress, but she's in yeah, there. Yeah. Like I, I did, that didn't bother me too much. I mean, I, I too wondered like, is this historically accurate as much as it can be? Um, because I just didn't. No, definitely not. I, it, it can't be, right? Because there's always like this whole protocol and like a chain that you have to go through in order to see the queen. But I guess she just wanted, but I guess they explained it because they talked about how bored she is, right? Because her husband, uh, you know, I guess he has dementia or, you know, is, is yeah, I don't know, I'm just kind of like losing his mind a bit, losing his uh, faculties. So they talk about how bored she is and that's why she is so involved. So I guess that excuses it. I mean, that's like the whole thing about the show is like they do a lot of like gesturing at like just good enough explanations. And it's totally fine. Like it works for me. I'm like, I get it. Like you're just doing a just good enough explanation, but then you're just also just doing whatever you want. Like it doesn't really make any sense, but it's fine. Like she's, she's bored. So she's going to like be talking to this like junior Bridgerton sister on the regular. Like, no, she's not, but okay. That's fine. Right. But then, right. but she, but she sort of becomes obsessed with, The queen also wants to know who Lady Whistledown is because Lady Whistledown basically is like just causing trouble and spreading gossip and like blowing up everyone's stuff all the time. And they're like, she doesn't like it. So what do you make at the end of the show? We like learn the identity of Lady Whistledown after Eloise has spent all this time, you know, trying to figure like thinking it's a servant and having the servant being like, are you kidding? We don't have enough time thinking it's the modiste, but it's not, you know, until finally sort of this last minute moment, she thinks she's going to find out Lady Whistledown. And so the, and as, as is the queen and she, she, you know, you know, she tells Lady Whistledown it's a trap and Lady Whistledown, whose identity we don't see leaves. And then at the very, sort of in the very last moments of the show, we realize who Lady Whistledown is. And what did you make of that particular reveal? Uh, it made sense to me. Like I haven't, um, I haven't gotten to the point in the series where Lady Whistledown is revealed, but it is, um, she is revealed Maybe I think halfway through, from my understanding, if I, uh, but I'm not sure. In the book, but in the yeah, in the book series, not in okay. in the first book with Daphne and Simon, but like at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I I thought it made sense. It was fine. I was um, I wasn't shocked. You know, I didn't have like this gasp moment <laughs> where I was just like, how could it? Because it felt very. I don't want to say it felt obvious. I don't really think that there was anything pointing to uh her identity so so it is penelope the the reveal is is that it's penelope 
Right. 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 It's Penelope. Um, but it makes sense because, again, people ignore her all the time. They right. just talk over her because she belongs to this family that people kind of just tolerate. She is not considered a beauty of the first water or whatever, like Daphne is. Um, and even, all, we should also say that all of the Bridgertons are considered like the most beautiful people in in the ton, like huh. in all of the country. They're supposed to be so beautiful, um, which, you know, whatever, all that's subjective <laughs> again. Um, <laughs> but... It makes sense. So people are probably just dropping all kinds of secrets, talking over her, forgetting that she's in the room. You know, she's able to leave in order to go write this stuff up and have it printed. She has um, she probably has been saving her money in order to pay for the printing, you know, because whatever. Yeah, I thought there was a couple interesting things about it. I coincidentally just like watched the first episode after I'd seen the last one. And the moment that the that Daphne and Simon walk into the ball from sort of making their pact to fake it. She's the first person that they see. And I thought like, oh, they probably knew this the whole time. And I bet if you went and watched the show, there would be like some nice little, um, you know, Easter eggs that she is, that she was lady whistled down the whole time. So one of the sort of dramatic B storylines midway through the season is that Marina, who is the pregnant uh, charge at staying with the Featheringtons gets Colin Bridgerton to propose to her. He's in love with her and she's, she's pregnant, but she's hoping to marry him um, and then have the baby and sort of have her reputation be saved. And basically, so Penelope is, is heartbroken about this. And we see all of this because she's in love with Colin and she feels extremely conflicted that like Marina is going to marry Colin and then have this baby and sort of make him look terrible. And she doesn't come out and just flat out tell Colin at any point that Marina is pregnant and you see her just being tortured about it. And in the show, in the middle, Lady Whistledown then suddenly out of nowhere tells everybody that Marina is pregnant, right? And the show, like no one's like, how does anyone, like, it's a pretty good secret, but they're like someone, a tradesperson. I mean, that's why I think why Eloise decides it must be a tradesperson. Like, who knows everyone's secrets? But now, in retrospect, we know, right, that, like, good Penelope, like, who was so conflicted about Marina and Colin, actually totally just put Marina's, like, basically, like, her love for Colin or her defense of Colin was so much greater than whatever, you know, however she felt for Marina that she told everybody that Marina was pregnant which is actually like pretty not that kind <laughs> not that not that what marina was doing was that kind but it's sort of interesting because penelope seems is, is what we see of her is very sweet and a lot of what eloise is selling to her the whole sort of season is like we're gonna find out who lady whistledown is and we're gonna save your family's reputation but the person who tanked her family's reputation is her right like lady whistledown and penelope are the same and they did it <laughs> Yeah, she sabotaged her own family in order to save Colin and save the possibility of maybe being with him, even though she can't even, like, get the nerve up to tell him her feelings for him, you know? And he still very much sees her as a little sister as well. So there's no... It was a huge risk on Penelope's part. Um, And, you know, we won't know if it pays off until... I don't know, a few books down the line. Um, right. Also, like, I think we can tell that she doesn't know everything. Like, that's the other thing about Lady Whistledown is, like, they, Lady Whistledown never knows that Daphne and Simon are playing everybody. Like, she, she knows a lot, but, like, we know more than she does. <laughs> 
Right, right. And I mean, there's no way she could know everything. Um, you know, I and I don't even know if she knows her family's financial situation, because, again, that's something like her mother didn't know until it was uh, until they were denied at the Modiste um, that they had all these debts. And so she went to confront her husband. Um, so stuff like that. That makes sense to me, because I do understand that people will hide money. People don't like to talk about money. Um, people will hide financial um, straits. So that makes sense to me. I, that Do you think Lord Featherington is dead? Do you think Lord Featherington's dead? No, I don't think yeah, he's right? dead. I yeah, think yeah. I think he was beaten up, yes, and he probably ran away someplace <laughs> or maybe someone, like, carted him off. But yeah. there was no body. Anytime totally. there's no body, obviously somebody's going to come back. You know? <laughs> yes, that's right. That's how it works. Uh, that's really how But it I works. do want to talk about something else that yeah. was Eloise and the second brother, Benedict. So yeah. in um, the trailer for the show and in like just, you know, the scuttlebutt, there, there was this idea that one of the Bridgertons or maybe more than one of the Bridgerton siblings was queer and that uh, because they are, everyone is straight in the books, right? Um, mm-hmm. All of the siblings, um, you know, get with, uh, have a hetero marriage. So there was this idea that, of course, Shondaland, Shonda stuff, this is all going to be um, turned around. And Eloise and Benedict often find each other late at night, just kind of like in the quiet. They're sitting in like the swings. Have or, a cigarette. Oh God, on the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, they're sneaking off having these moments where they're talking in this code together about how they don't want to follow the expectations and they're trying to avoid, you know, they're trying to figure out how they can be their true selves. So it's all very coded and like one of them may come out and um, Benedict goes to this, you know, party, he goes to, he meets up with this artist and he goes to the artist's house. I can't remember the artist's name, um, but he goes and it's basically an orgy. Like everyone's having sex and there's drugs and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And Benedict has a threesome and then he goes and he looks for the host, um, his friend, and he sees that this guy is making love to another man. And so he's shocked um, or whatever. And you're kind of like, is he shocked or is he like afraid of his own feelings that are coming out? I right? mean, that's that whole thing seemed to me like I just kept waiting for Benedict and that guy to get together or to have sex. And I assume they will next season. Like, I just think it was like a slow, like that just seemed so clearly like where that was going. And then, but I actually did one thing I did find a historical, even though after saying like, I don't mind so much the historicity is um, Benedict after seeing that has, starts to be a little mean to the, like they, they, he, he, he sort of, um, shuns him in public and then they have a private conversation sort of, I mean, also in public, but just the two of them where he's like, like, how could you? And I think that's totally ahistorical. I think like, firstly, they wouldn't have talked about it if they would have talked about it. Like I, I just like that stuff was always happening. And it's just like, they were also like, men were also married and it was like fine. And also for the, the man who Benedict's speaking to to say like, do you know what it's like to be in a room with someone you love, but you can't even speak to them. And you're like, you're having a private conversation with this other man right now. Why can't you like, no one, that's not how people think we're thinking about things. Like actually you could just a hundred percent hide in plain sight. I, I just found all of that, like very sort of like of the now, um, like tension that didn't need to be brought to that in a way that also just sort of like 
made the story seem less like sexy and interesting. Like I assume those guys are going to get it on like at some point and that will be like, he'll be bisexual and that will be like a fun storyline, you know? Yeah. I just felt, I was like, is this, is this a little bit of a queer baiting situation, which I thought was a little unfair, you know? Yeah. If if it doesn't pay off, you're totally right. If it doesn't pay off, you're right. It is a queer baiting. I think it is going to pay off though. I could be wrong. I hope so. Like, I don't, I don't know that the, the artist guy, he didn't seem like he was going to come back, you know, like, I yeah. guess because he was so minor for right now, it just didn't seem like he was anchored into the cast. Um, so yeah, maybe they'll give him somebody else. Maybe they'll give him someone else. Maybe. But I think, I maybe. think you're right. Like it is just, it's too boring for them all to be straight. And there's so many people, like they just have to mix it up a little more. I just think they will. Yeah. But wait, do, do you want to just like, for a second, just talk about the two leads again. Like, did you think they were good performers? Like, I just, I really, I guess I'm, I'm, I do want to talk about Daphne, but mostly I just want to ask what you thought of the Duke and like, in a thirst way, like, did he do it? Like, what's his, what did you think? Okay. So I thought he was very handsome. I thought they did an amazing (laughs) job of showing how a woman can desire a man. Like, Daphne was looking at him lick a spoon while he's eating his ice cream. You know, she is like panting, watching him roll up her roll up his sleeves and show his forearms. I love that. I thought that was very well done. Um, I did not really think that they had chemistry. I did not think that they had romantic chemistry. And maybe that is part of the reason why I think the love scenes um, did not work for me. Another reason that I felt the romance scenes, um, the love scenes felt awkward it's because Daphne looked so young. Um, yeah. I didn't feel, you know, I understand that she was supposed to be young. She's probably like right at maybe 18 for us now, you know, that kind <laughs> of thing. But it just, yeah. um, it made me feel very uncomfortable to see that age difference. And we're still just supposed to be like, it's a love match, which again, I know that does happen. I know that it happened in the past. I understand that. But I just, I just did not want to see this teenage girl or this woman who looks like a teenage girl just kind of in ecstasy. So it just felt, it just made me feel very uncomfortable. But the Duke of Hastings, Simon, very handsome. I, the eyebrow arch. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Do it. <laughs> have you have you seen Do Sylvie's it. Love? Have you seen Sylvie's Love, the movie Sylvie's Love? Yes. Is, so yes. he's in Sylvie's Love, and he is he's like the Slate has a whole theory that like when his ears are sticking out, he's not hot. Like he is just a goofy in Sylvie's Love, goofy, goofy, goofy. Like he's a good actor, I think, because he's so goofy in that movie. You would just be like, there is no way you're gonna pull off just like smolder, and he does. So yes, check yes. out Sylvie's Love if you want to see him in a whole. <laughs> Other but he's still way. very much like a, a lover, you know, yeah, in Sylvie's love. Like he's, yeah. uh, you know, he's still very much a character there. Um, but and that's the thing. So Sylvie's love did a really good job of having this love story featuring black people where race and discrimination was still a part of their lives, but it was not the central focus of their Mm -hmm. lives. And their lives were not like built around racism. And, you know, they weren't finding love despite racism. They weren't like struggling through that or whatever. So I feel like Sylvie's Love did a really good job of nodding to the fact that black people, you know, kind of go through some shit, but they still fall in love. I don't think that... Bridgerton really did a good job of acknowledging 
race and racism mm-hmm. um, beyond just like a little like a little like it's there, but you all know it because you're 21st century people. You know it. You know the audience knows it, but we're not. We don't need to say anything about it. Right. Which is it's like a little. It was a little too cute in the sense of being like they explain it, but then they're like and and I, they explain it and they obviously like because it's sort of frothy confection, like, don't really want to be having major characters, like, being racist, and and perhaps, and also, like, that, as you say, like, it's, like, black people get to fall in love and not have to have it all be, like, suffering and pain all the time. But that, but there is, like, a disconnect where you're, like, not everybody would just be cool with this, right? Like, there's, there's some irreality here where, like, you've explained it, it's this new thing, but everyone's just, like, totally fine with, like, the status changes. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's it's not like you're like no there would be more consequences that are more felt than than what the show wants to get into, right? So like you know Lady Featherington her um, beef with Marina, like is it because Marina is mixed race or is it just because she is so much more beautiful than her daughters or like what is it? It's never acknowledged. We don't know exactly. We just know that she looks at her like oh god you're gonna be a pain in my ass. And she treats her terribly throughout the series. So, there, it, like, it would be nice if they just called the thing a thing, you know? So <laughs> right. I would have appreciated that. But to the third stuff, um, yes, the Duke, very handsome. Anthony <laughs> is very handsome. Anthony I, I is very Anthony handsome. Anthony is, is very handsome. Um, the middle brother is handsome. I've seen a lot of tweets where people are like, I can't tell any of these boys apart. Like, they all <laughs> look alike, which is obviously the point because they... In the books, I think they're all redheads. Um, oh, if really? I remember correctly, that's so funny. I think, I think, yeah. but yeah, obviously that's the point. But um, Colin is handsome, but you can tell that he's still very young. You know, so you can't. Yeah. I, like, for me, as somebody over forty, I just like, I'm just not going to look at him. <laughs> you know, like so yeah. everyone past like younger than Colin. I'm just like, I guess they're cute. I don't know. Like whatever. <laughs> I I wonder if they're going to age the characters as they get to uh you know get to those respective siblings like in the books because obviously in the books they once we get to their love story they're older um so i'm interested in seeing how the characters change because penelope um she while she has you know in this first series she is the cute chubby daughter she kind of loses that baby fat, so to speak. And, you know, she's still very svelte, you know, um, but she is not uh, talked about in the same way. You know, the language is not the same for her. So I'm, I'm, I would like to see her stay the same and that we see yeah. someone who is, you know, you know, got some curves on her and somebody falls head over heels in love with her. I would like to see that. It does feel like they're like, we have a ton of show here if you want it. You know what I mean? Like, we've got eight siblings. And they're little. Like, yeah, I think they would age them up like they do in soap operas, where it's like one day they just show up and they're like, this character is now played by another actor who's 20 <laughs> years older. You know? Which I always really love with right. that. And I th- it feels like there's a lot of runway. I mean, I I do think it's just like... um. Like, I think it's a really solid premise for a show. What can I say? I just, like, think there's, like, every year we'll just tell a love story. There'll be, like, more sex than you would expect. And, like, they'll talk like it's in Jane Austen. And I'm just, like, I love that stuff. Like, I love A Pride and Prejudice. I'm psyched about that. It really worked for me better than you, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the thing, I like the show. Mm, No, I didn't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
Be real. I like seeing a ro- I like seeing this kind of romance on screen. I liked that um, Netflix is kind of doing this whole romance department, you know, for like they're adapting all these different series. I like that because I like um, uh, Sweet Magnolias. I love that show. Um, and it typically would not be something that I would have read. I'm probably not going to read the books, but I loved the series on Netflix. I watched Virgin River, which I read the first book. And it's not, again, something that I would typically read because I do not like closed door romances. Right. I don't like where the romance is kind of like the sex is hinted at. And then, you know, it's a fade to black situation, which is what Virgin <laughs> River is. Um, it's in the title. But, it's in the title. Yeah. <laughs> but on screen, I was like, oh, this is kind of neat. I like I like this. Um, so I I appreciate what Netflix is doing. Bridgerton did not wow me, but I watched the whole thing. I have gone back and watched pieces of it again, <laughs> not just to talk about, but just to be like, okay, did I re- do I am I remembering this correctly? Let me go back and look at it. Yeah. Um it's something that I can see myself putting on just to have background noise, like if I'm doing something yeah. else, maybe. Um yeah. But I I do think that once we get into the other books, the show will pick up and it will be better, you know. So you it was like you think it's like the the main couple just like really kind of didn't do it for you. Yeah. 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 And I think um, I've seen a few people talk about this as well. But I think, you know, a problem with Hollywood right now is just saying that, oh, these two good looking people, that'll be enough. And we can put (laughs) them together to make a love story. And if there's not, the chemistry is not there, it's not going to feel good to the audience. And it did, their relationship, their chemistry did not feel good. Also, I think people still think that women just want to see, or that straight women just want to see, like, male ass. And it's like, no, there has to be more. <laughs> like, yes, give us... Give, give us the muscles or whatever that you know whatever we want we want to look at something good but also there needs to be like some finesse to it and I don't think that there was that much finesse there was that much like heat between them yeah it just right it was like extended scenes of like the same stuff kind of yeah 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 I'm trying to think of some other like historicals that I think could be good. Um, the author, Alyssa Cole, she has a great um, historical romance series um, with like women who are Civil War spies. Uh, you know, I it's fantastic. I would love to see that adapted. Um, gosh, she has some other stuff that are kind of like another series is a, like a little futuristic royalty, um, African royalty, um, mm. people finding love. That is like a really great mix of people that would be great. So there are a lot of options out there. <laughs> Obviously you have people like Nora Roberts and Sandra Brown who are really good at romantic thrillers. Mm. I would love to see that. Kind of, uh, Nora Roberts has it was just announced that Alyssa Milano is about to do a star in, <laughs> yeah, um, star in a adaptation of Nora Roberts' book *Brazen Virtue*. Um, I'm gonna go look it up right now. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, not to take away from Bridgerton, but Bridgerton was fine for me. Um, I'm glad that people like it. I'm glad that it's it's gotten a second season. We're like we're we're almost out of time, but I'm curious. Like, t- do you like the other Shonda shows? Like, did you like Scandal or Grey's or? So I watched the first season of Scandal. Um, 
I didn't. I don't watch Grey's. I'm not really into um, medical shows. Yeah. It's really a soap opera, but yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, but I love um, Station 19, and okay. I get annoyed. Yeah, I get annoyed when I they do the crossovers. But I love, love Station 19. Yeah, I was curious because I just think, you know, it's like this show is both like it comes from like it has like a romance context, and then it also just has like the Shonda context, and... I think a lot of the things that maybe you think didn't work, like feel very Shonda E to me, you know, where it's like, mm-hmm. like just some of this is just really like just the stuff she's interested in, um, which are kind of like everyone's supposed to be fucked up, but not too much. Like gesture, like I love a Shonda show for a lot of the things that she does, but there's a, the kind of irreality that she's interested in is, is pretty consistent. And I think you see it here where it's like, um, a lot of talk about people being damaged and broken and maybe like doing unethical things, but like it goes down super easy, you know, like it's not like it, even when it's dark, it's light. Um, and, and that's, that's really a lot of that's here. Um, along with a lot of other, you know, the one thing the show didn't have, which is like a super is like the most Shonda MO is a mistress. And I, I mean, there were some mistresses, but they were not the protagonists. And I'll be interested to see if what happens. Cause like, that's, I mean, that's like her favorite thing to do. So. Yeah, and I love a good juicy primetime soap opera. Like I grew up on Dallas and Knott's Landing and Dynasty and stuff like that. I'm as a matter of fact, I am rewatching Dallas, um, <laughs> and I am loving it. I'm just eating oh. it with a spoon because it's so ridiculous. Um, but it's I don't know. Maybe yeah. I guess I'm not too wild about all of the Shonda isms. Um, I don't know. Because I watched How to Get Away with Murder. I watched the first couple of seasons yeah. of that. And then I think I just, um, I think I got tired of seeing the same thing. And so yeah. maybe maybe that's my issue. But Station 19, here for it. <laughs> uh, so that's going to be the end of our conversation about Bridgerton with a plug for Station 19. And then also a bunch of, <laughs> I was really interested to hear the romance novels that you think should be adapted and are good. I'm going to look them up. Um, this was really fun. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. That's our show. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Morgan Flannery. For Nicole Perkins, I'm Willa Paskin. Thank you for listening. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.